Welcome to Central Speaks, home of our weekly podcast. Central Speaks is produced by Hamilton Central Baptist Church. Someone referred to my preaching today as my swan song. It is said that the swan, though quiet for most of its life, when it is nearing the end, sings a beautiful melody. Therefore, when applied to our human experience, it refers to either a time of retirement or even approaching death. My comments today, which must give time to the awful condition of the church in Laodicea, will not end in a note of despair. For even those in Laodicea are graciously invited by the Lord to repent and turn to Him and are promised a place to share His throne and reign in life. This joyous reality took my attention as I contemplated the delinquent nature of the church at Laodicea. God showed me a church today that is not naked and poor and blind, but spread across many nations and vibrant and healthy and reigning in heavenly places with Christ. But more on this a little later. But let me whet your appetite and say, you have been part of this vibrant church. It is nearly 47 years since Fran and I came to Hamilton. Our first few years were blessed in leading this church, and then for the remaining 30 years plus, as your missionaries across the South Pacific, throughout Africa, then some countries in the Middle East and Southeast Asia. You provided a spiritual home for Fran and myself under the spiritual care of five different senior pastors for which we are truly grateful. But whether traveling internationally or observing the church nationally, an uppermost thought in church life over these years has been, is there a secret? to church growth. What is it that enables a church to be kept healthy and vibrant like the church at Philadelphia? You can consult or read the writings of Robert Shuler and John Maxwell and Bill Hybels and Rick Warren and oh so many others and their inspirational messages. And if you have, you may still be asking, what is the secret? to church growth. Listen then to my swan song, sang with some struggling effects perhaps, but nevertheless so simple, even the wayfaring man, though a fool, may sing the same melody. The title that I have given for my message today is Heaven's Wisdom for a Bankrupt Church learning from the past, living in the present, and looking to the future. Firstly then, learning from the past. Over these past months, we have appreciated the expositional teaching from our teaching pastor, Lincoln Badger, and we have been blessed as he has taken us to that inhospitable rock in the Mediterranean called Patmos, and caused us to ponder yet again the messages of our ascended Lord given to the Apostle John 
to be passed on to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Today we are to ponder the message to the seventh church that was at Laodicea. But before we pass on to consider the Laodicean church, let's just be reminded of attitudes and actions of the earlier churches, which we have already noted. If you have the New King James Version, you will see that the seven churches are given a title of just three words. Let me remind you, though ever so briefly, of what we have noted so far, but permit me to tarry and comment briefly on the sin of the Ephesian church, because this is multiplied greatly in the church at Laodicea, which threatened Jesus with sickness. We have already read the passages, so we will not read them again, but we start with Revelation chapter 2 of Ephesus, the loveless church. This church abounded in works, but not in worship. Do you remember the story recorded in Luke chapter 7? where Jesus was invited to a meal in the home of Simon the Pharisee. Having entered and having sat down, there came a woman who poured out her gratitude and love to Jesus, washing his feet with her tears, drying his feet with her hair, then kissing his feet and anointing him with fragrant oil. Simon was rather disgusted with what he was observing, but Jesus said, Simon, I've something to say to you. Have you ever pondered what Jesus said? Moreover, could it be that Jesus would say to us today, I've got something to say to you? Yes, we would answer, Lord, please say what's on your heart. Then came those revealing words which Jesus spoke and revealed volumes to us. He said, when I entered your house, Simon, you gave me no kiss. Let this statement then enter the depths of conscience and understanding. Does this statement apply to any of us? When you come to the Lord, whether in private or Sunday by Sunday, is there any response of intimate love to Him? We may have spent the whole week in dedicated service, but this must not be seen as a substitute for worship. And what about today? Does the Lord look at you and say, You've given me no kiss. There is nothing to suggest you feel an intimate, loving relationship with me. The honeymoon is over, and your first love for me has gone. Keep this challenge in mind, because when we come to Laodicea, we will find that not only has the church lost its first love, but that Jesus is actually outside the church wanting to come in. A voice from the past is that of my late father-in-law, John Dean, and he says, I never like to complete my time of quiet without at least a few minutes with uplifted face and adoring heart. And I noticed that down through the centuries, The Christian men and women who have left their mark in Christ's kingdom have been men and women who adore. It is this adoring that lights the fire in the soul and makes us fervent in spirit. But we must hasten on and not tarry at each church. There was the church in Smyrna, 
that persecuted church which was told to fear not what's coming, the church in Pergamos, the compromising church, some members followed false teaching that brought about religious and moral compromise, the danger that as we seek to be relevant, we may become irrelevant so that the world sees no difference between the church and a local club. And then there was the church at Thyatira, that church which was corrupt. Some fell prey to one false prophet who brought immorality to be accepted in the church. And Christ with eyes like a flame of fire pierced the veneer of self-righteousness and demanded repentance. Then there was the church at Sardis, the dead church. This church was filled with what we call nominal Christians. There is no commendation whatsoever. However, there were some faithful believers in the church and they were told to hold fast to the word of God. Church that was spiritually dead needed to wake up. And then the church at Philadelphia, that faithful church, guaranteed of a reward. And now we come to the church at Laodicea, the lukewarm church, complacent and lukewarm. And while there are lessons from the past, there are those who believe that prophetically Laodicea is a picture of the church in our day. And so we can learn from what the Lord had to say concerning Laodicea. The Lord directed harsh judgment against this church. When he looked upon it, he felt nauseated. The church was compromising. The church was conceited. The church was Christless. And at very best, it was filled with fence-sitters, neither hot nor cold. Today, we would call them nominal Christians. They were polite, but powerless, carefree, but not careful. They loved the views from the mountaintop of worldly wealth and prosperity. But you and I know that nourishing fruit grows in the valleys. The Lord takes the lifestyle and environment of the people living in Laodicea and draws spiritual parallels to help them see heaven's viewpoint of their own wretchedness. You see, Laodicea was a very popular business center and on the popular trade route. As a business center, it had its own export market, which included the soft black wool shorn from the black sheep their shepherds tended. This soft black wool was in great demand. Laodicea, though extremely wealthy, had insufficient water supply of its own and had to rely on water piped in from outside. Their main water supply came from Colossae, and while this was cool and refreshing at its source, was tepid and distasteful by the time it reached Laodicea. Nor was the water that was piped in from Hierapolis, six miles to the south, any better. It was therapeutic hot water at its source, but by the time it reached Laodicea, it was tepid. This water was useless in cold weather, when a hot bath was required, and useless in the hot weather when a cool, refreshing drink was needed. Gold garments and eye salve 
were Laodicea's main exports, and Laodicea became famous because of its well-known medical school and the supply of an eye salve made from crushed Phrygian stone mixed with water. But now comes heaven's assessment of the church in Laodicea, and we're going to read from Revelation chapter 3 and verses 15 to 18. Jesus says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. And now comes a message of hope. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Dare we enter this heavenly market and ask for such blessings? What is meant by gold that has been refined by fire? Do we want those garments that are white, the white robes of Christ, and exchanged for the garments of sin? What about forsaking the reasoning of the fleshly mind for the discernment of the Holy Spirit, giving godly insight? The one word that sums up such a change is revival. Revival is like Judgment Day, if I am to quote from the historian J. Edwin Orr. Let's look a little bit more closely at this word revival. What does it mean? It means masks are stripped off. Playing religious games is over. No longer can I put on a religious front to impress my peers. Raw honesty and open confession of sin midst loud crying and tears are to be expected. In revival, the reign of lukewarmness is over because when the Holy Spirit shows up, lives are drastically changed and the fire of the Holy Spirit breaks out here and there. You gave me no kiss is a statement no longer heard where worship is worship in spirit and in truth in those days of revival. I remember being in a revival in Brugham in the Sepik region of Papua New Guinea. And when the invitation was given for folk to come forward to get right with God, some 200 responded. What noise! What crying! What repentance! I well remember observing an elderly man bent over and wailing. I was so concerned I called a PNG brother and asked, is he all right? And my brother just put his head down alongside of the wailing brother and listened as best he could to what was pouring forth. And then with upturned face, he said to me, he is all right. You see, he was in the grinding mill of revival where every evil is revealed and washed away. Today, biblical values are no longer motivating guidelines for many of our politicians. Both nationally and internationally, there is proof 
that we are living in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. Read again Philippians chapter 2 and verses 14 to 15. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. A lukewarm church is not going to get the attention of the world. We are to shine as lights, bright models of holiness, declaring truth in this dark world. The Lord gives a fourfold prescription to deal with the lukewarmness which made him feel ill. And not only ill, but chapter 3 and verse 20 actually shows him outside his church as though not wanted by those inside. Our Lord outside, what does he say? He says, you are naked, you are blind, you are, you are full of compromise. Christlessness is within. Here let me refer to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. And so we come to our third point, looking to the future. You may all be familiar with Holman Hunt's picture of Christ standing at the shut door. Have you noticed there is no handle on the outside of the door? The only handle is on the inside. You must open the door. You must come forward with the kiss of welcome. Heaven's answer for spiritual nakedness is here. You see, nakedness in Scripture is a metaphor for defeat and humiliation. This is how captives in wartime were treated. The Laodiceans were clothed with self-righteousness, but in God's sight they were naked, destitute, captives of sin. They were counseled to buy the white robes of Christ's righteousness to get rid of deception and putting on a show. Then there is heaven's answer for spiritual blindness. Laodicea was famous for its export of a powder that created a salve when mixed with water. And a great need in the church today is for the gift of discernment, the gift that will only follow genuine repentance and trust in the Lord. And then there's heaven's answer for spiritual compromise. And here it is so clearly stated, Therefore be zealous and repent. But in the midst of the rebuking, notice the love of the Lord shines through. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And then heaven's answer for Christlessness, 320. Here is a demonstration of the grace of God. Some readers of what I'm sharing today or listeners may feel that Christ's denunciation of errors within the church is too severe and lacking in love, but this is not so. Now Christ pictures himself shut out of his own church and politely knocking. He does not barge in to take over where he is uninvited. The prophetic interpretation sees the Laodicean church as a picture of the church in the last days before the return of Christ. We must ask ourselves, have we pushed Jesus outside of our church? Have we compromised his word of truth? 
Here then is what I believe is the key to church growth. Jesus in the midst. The word is so clear and so plain. His presence makes all the difference. I have no complaint with Rick Warren and his excellent book, The Purpose Driven Church. But as wonderful and motivating as it is, and undoubtedly of great benefit, I suggest we go a step further and now proclaim the presence-driven church. Christ stands outside knocking, wanting to come in and promising indescribable blessings. And he says in Revelation 3.21, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. There will be the heavenly manna to feed on every day. There will be the water of life given by the Holy Spirit to spring up within. There will be the spotless garments of Christ's righteousness to wear, and even a place of rulership sharing the very throne of our ascended Lord. Here then is the key to church growth and effectiveness. We must be, or we must become, a presence-driven church. Adoration first, spirit-filled action to follow. Heavenly wisdom for a bankrupt church. Laodicea and beyond. Do you have a Laodicean heart? Then turn the handle and invite Christ in with the kiss of intimate love. From wallowing in the mire of sin, you'll rejoice in the liberty of holiness as you reign with Christ. You don't have to stay in Laodicea. The clip I referred to focuses on the worship and praise being experienced in many nations at this time. That river began to trickle forth from this church, and this is why I want you to see it. Can God do this again? Could we become instruments the Holy Spirit could use to initiate another worldwide harvest? If we will reign with Christ, why not? Laodicea and beyond, choose your future. So ends my swan song, envisaging and calling for a presence-driven church. for joining us this week online come join us on sunday mornings too if you're in hamilton find out more about hamilton central baptist church and discover ways to get involved at www.hcbc.nz join us again next week at central speaks